1: Taylor Stevens, the New York Times bestselling and award-winning author of kick-ass international thrillers, and this is the Taylor Stevens Show with my good friend Steve Campbell, where we are kicking writing in the butt one word at a time.
0: And for listeners, this is not a hack the craft episode, and this is not an episode where Taylor and I are talking about TV shows or movies.
1: Oh, but these are so much fun
0: (laughs) This is more like an old-fashioned episode of the Taylor Stevens Show Where we're going to have chit-chat And you'll all be excited to know we're going to have farm stories with the chit-chat And then we have an actual topic, which is How do you make the setting a character in your story? So first, we start out with stories from the farm And it's been a while, Taylor So what's, what's your lead story? Well, that's
1: just it. I'm like so torn. (laughs) Do I talk about the goats? Do I talk about the geese? Um, If you are a patron, then you will have received what I think is probably the funniest farm story I've ever written. (laughs) I haven't done these for a while. And so um, I had a lot of catch up to do. And I wrote about the geese in soap opera style, like All the characters and their backstabbing, (laughs) partner-swapping shenanigans and everything. And I personally think that was one of the most hilarious farm stories I've ever told. Like, I still crack up when I'm reading it. But I cannot repeat all of that here or we would be doing nothing but goose talk. So I will say that breeding season has started, which means, I guess, mating season, whatever. And it's when everybody, the geese all get really aggressive. Don't get near me. Don't get near my partner. Um, we're going to nest and lay eggs. And so to do that, I had to, for reasons that are very clear, if you've read the the goose opera, um, I had to put the the big American buff geese back in their private area so that they wouldn't try partner swapping with the not American buff geese. And um And so I've been a lot closer to them lately, and it's funny to me because this particular breed is supposed to be real low-key, docile, and the others that are the Chinese geese, and they are supposed to be one of the more aggressive, noisy, flightier breeds. And generally speaking, this is true, but I have yet to have one of those Chinese geese go after me during this mating, egg-laying season, and the buff geese have started standing their ground and it the it turns out that the largest one of the buffs that i thought all this time i thought was a boy is actually a girl and she's so defensive she started laying she's so defensive of her nest and it's funny to me because she's not supposed to be aggressive i'm not used to her being aggressive and every time i go in there she wants to eat my shoes and attack my pant legs and it's funny it doesn't hurt me um and i'm not scared of her and it's just, it's like a toddler coming at me, trying to beat me up. And I'm like talking to her and like, I'm sorry, you know, this is for your own good. I'm not trying to hurt you. And then her boyfriend, who's the only male in that group, I call him Big Bad John after the song. You have to Google if you don't know it. And he's, he loves me. This, this goose prior to this whole episode He's always like whenever I'm out there, he's the first to announce that I'm in the area and he comes over and he just follows me around and he wants me to get down on his level and talk to him and pet him. He doesn't like want to be held and he doesn't want a lot of touching, but he wants the acknowledgement. And he's just like my buddy when when I'm out there doing stuff normally. And now as soon as he sees me, he's like, get away from my woman. Get away from my woman. (laughs) (gasps) so this is the first time i've gone through this with them and and that's it's just interesting and um there's been a whole hilarious drama going on with the chinese geese of who's who's gonna pair up with who and why and when and i wish i could just tell it now it's so funny but for that it's on patreon so that's the good stories and then we've had Big goats. And there's, uh, there's one more goat that is still pregnant. And I thought that she was going to have her baby at the same time, more or less as the most recent one that had her baby. Um, and this goat that's still pregnant is just huge. And every day that goes by, I think she can't get any huger. And I think her, her udder can't get any fuller And she's just holding those babies hostage. (laughs) She has not had them. (laughs) I thought that by writing about it and putting it in part of that post on Patreon, that, you know, Murphy's Law, that she'd have her babies that night or something. But no, all this time later, she's still pregnant. And I'm like, just started starting to think this is just going to be a permanent condition or something. But anyway, that's (laughs) that's where we're at. I'm hopefully knock on wood. I mean, it doesn't make any sense that by the time. I do another, if we do another, like, recording session, because sometimes we record these two episodes at a time, so that would be two weeks from now, I guess, um, that surely by then there would be babies, but I don't know, and I have this, like, I want to say nightmare, because I'm not sleeping when it happens, the daymare or whatever, that, She's going to have these babies in the middle of the night, and then the first one's going to get stuck the way Ferrari got stuck, and I'm not going to be there, and the baby's going to die, and she's going to die, and I wake up in the morning to a bunch of dead babies, and I'm like, this is no way to live. Could you please just have these things (laughs) during the day, preferably? (laughs)
0: Let's get this over with. So, yeah, farm stories. All right, so our topic for today, as I mentioned earlier, is making the setting a character in your story. And do you, do you want to read the question, Taylor, or how do you want to get this rolling?
1: I will in just okay. a minute. But so this question came from within the Facebook group. And I, it, I think it turned up a while ago, but we've just had so much else going on with trying to work our way through this series that we just did a couple weeks back, finished a couple weeks back with um, the backflashes and line editing and stuff. So here we go. Uh, it's going to be a fun question for me, I think, and fun in the way that this could be highly entertaining (laughs) because I don't actually know the answer. (laughs) But a lot of times I don't think I know the answers to things. And then as I start talking about them and my brain kicks into gear and I'm trying to explain it, that it sort of crystallizes in my head. And so maybe we're going to get lucky like that or maybe we won't. But here is the question. You hear typical writing advice or praise about making the setting a character, usually associated with small town cozy series or like Hogwarts and Harry Potter. So what's your take on what this actually means and how to hack the craft? How do you get readers bonded to a fictional place? And (laughs) this is one of those things that I'm like, yeah, I am very familiar with that phrase now, and I still have no idea what it means. I first heard of this concept, setting as a character, right after the information published, and it just it kept turning up over and over in reviews, and I, I didn't know what it meant exactly. I mean, logically, yes. I mean, logically, when we hear that phrase setting as a character, we get the gist, we know what it means, but... At the time like i didn't know what i'd done specifically. I was making people say that, and because there was never anything conscious about it, and really, honestly, that same principle held true for every part of that story. I had no idea what I was doing when I wrote it i'd read so few books at that time, and just I was completely oblivious to anything reader slash writer related so like i didn't even have my a good sense of genre or any other aspect of storytelling. All I had done was I'd written something that made sense to me. And it's kind of pretty much the same now. I still just write what makes sense to me. And the only reason that I'm able to break down these story elements now is because I spend so much time answering questions and trying to explain how to replicate this process to others. If it wasn't for that, I think I'd probably still be just as clueless. And every time I started a new book, the whole process would feel very much like it did the first time where I'm just kind of white knuckling my way through an inc- incantation and just hoping the magic kicks in. Because after that first book was written, I was like, I don't know how I did that. It just, it just did. Like one day after the next, after the next, after the next. And then there was this book. I don't know how to replicate that. I don't know how to write another book. And now I do know how to write another book, but I'm still not quite sure about this whole setting as a character thing. So how do you? How do you get readers to connect with a fictional place or a real place that's been fictionalized? And I don't know. But the first thing that I do when I'm trying to answer questions is I look back over what I do know. Right. And so in a case like this, when I'm thinking, how do you get readers to connect with a fictional place? I think back about all the things we've talked about over these last six plus years. And right away, I know there are things that won't work. Right. So, like, the biggest won't work is probably the first thing that most people are going to try when they're trying to, like, consciously trying to make A physical place be like a character in the book and that's a they're going to spend a lot of time going into detail adding a lot of description and just trying to make this place feel very textured through detail and description but we know that's not going to work because we know that detail and description on their own are boring so even in the most fantastical, immersive story, nobody is reading that story for descriptions of the place. The best you can hope for, just off description and detail alone, is that it's interesting enough that nobody starts skipping to get to the part that is interesting. And what we know is interesting is character. And when we say character, I mean like an animate Living, breathing people type thing, or people surrogates like animals or talking furniture. And for that, setting as a character doesn't count unless maybe the setting is literally a talking character, like a magic castle, or that has its own personality or something. And in that case, yeah, okay, fine. The setting automatically becomes a character by default because it's alive and sentient. But otherwise, your dealing place is not sentient. It's not alive. It doesn't have thoughts or feelings and emotions. Nothing bad is going to happen to it. It doesn't have its own stakes necessarily, unless somebody's going to blow it up. Um, so, it it isn't a character. So, how how do you deal with that, right? So the next thing that most people likely would do, which also doesn't work is try to cheat or bypass that issue of description in detail is boring by instead of, like, spending a lot of time writing the description in the detail, they try and have their characters spend a lot of time exploring a place or using the character's awe and wonderment or curiosity as a way to basically do the same thing in disguise. And we know that's not going to work. Because we know that every scene has to serve a purpose, and wandering around and exploring a place doesn't in itself serve a purpose, other than trying to sneak in a lot of detail and description <laughs> that it shouldn't be done that way. And that's almost worse than just writing a big block of heavy descriptive, let me tell you how this place looks and feels, because at least when you've got that big block of description, People can skip it if they're boring. But when you try and cheat and like, well, I'm going to describe this place by having the characters wander through it, that's just setting your readers up for disappointment. Because if you're making them go through all these hoops and exploring this place and there's no point to it, then it's like, well, why why did I just read that? And then you're expecting something more and then it just feels kind of hollow and empty. So we know that those things won't work. What would work? Um, And here's the question, right? Is how do you get readers bonded to a fictional place? And the key word in that question is bonding. And that's just another way of saying emotional connection. So what we're really asking here is how do we engage emotional connection with a place so that it feels like we're engaging with the character? Very short of it, I don't really think you can go that far where the setting actually becomes a character unless that setting is alive and sentient. You just can't. So when we talk about setting as a character, I think really we're speaking metaphorically. And there's something that's driving that specifically, because what we do know about engaging emotional characters in the first engaging emotional connection for characters or with characters in the first place is that and for this i'm going to cut and paste from one of the previous episodes we did where we had sort of like that quote-unquote master class on it because i think this kind of encapsulates it and it says the closer you get the closer you are able to get your characters to feeling real alive and feel fully human the more the audience will be emotionally invested in the outcome. When characters are flat or feel inauthentic, when there's no resonance and the audience can't find any way to connect, it's very, very difficult to care what happens. The audience becomes detached and has little emotional investment in the outcome. If we attempt to express this as an equation, it might look something like stakes plus connection to character equals emotional investment. So when I read that, and I'm thinking about that as place instead of person, The key takeaways to me are authentic, feels real, and alive. So when we're talking about writing about a place, authentic and feels real, that's pretty easy to understand. But what about the alive part? And how do you make a place come alive? And I think maybe when we're talking about places, a better word would be dynamic, meaning that the environment is one of possibility and unknowns and where the unexpected can happen and I think that's what made for example in the informationist that's what made that location that setting feel like a character metaphorically speaking is because it was so dynamic and and the plot it it was the plot couldn't have happened in some other place right so the next thing that I look at is what we know about how characters engage with their environment because that also deals with detail and description. And for that, we have the maxim character in motion. We describe what's happening through, or not what's happening, we describe the setting through the way our characters move through it how they interact with that that environment, and Steve pointed out a phrase that I used in a recent uh, podcast, a recent episode where I said, "Description lights the stage," and that is how we get our characters through their environment. The spotlight is shining on them, right? So that right there, that spotlight, as it's moving with your characters through the location, the setting that they're in, that spotlight. Is your circle of influence. That wherever that spotlight is in that moment, I think that is the key to answering the question of how do you get a place to feel to take on this sense of being a real living thing. And it, it's the amount of detail and how you describe what the character is experiencing right then and there. And we can draw An example of that from the most recent uh, line edit episode that we did, where the prose went just a little too sparse. And it was a little confusing about where the bodies were in relation to each other. And that was the focus of that particular episode was bodies, the positioning of the bodies. What we didn't talk about in that particular scene, because it wasn't a question that came up then and there is how little detail there was in the setting itself. When the characters were moving from place to place, you know, in that episode, we talked about how originally, you know, Patty lunged like three times, right? But we never saw the parking lot. Now, it's possible that Those details preceded the little segment that that we were working on. And that description all existed, but it was off the page of our particular page. So it might exist in real life, but we didn't have it. And in that scene, we never saw physically anything. The entire scene focused on the where the the individual bodies were or weren't in relation to each other and this fight that was taking place between two characters that were human-animal shapeshifters. But we never saw beyond that. We don't know if the parking lot was concrete or asphalt. We don't know how big it was. We don't know what the backdrop was except that there was this small Portion where the character forced herself to look around and to orient herself. No, there's mountains in the background, whatever. So that was the only bit of description that we got. And so if we were relying only on that small segment, and again, not because we don't know what the rest of the story held, but just using that small segment as an example, we could say there was no character in that setting. It could have been a generic strip mall parking lot or it could have been a parking lot in front of a movie theater. It could have been a parking lot um, at the edge of uh, maybe a national park. Like We don't know because none of that detail was in there. And that's the type of detail that collectively adds up over time to create this this tactile experience where the place feels real. It might not feel alive, because it can't be alive, but it can feel dynamic, and it can feel authentic. And the bonus, um, that's really the bonus of being able to write about places that you've been, is you have all that detail in your head, because you've seen it for yourself. The, The challenge is to not just info dump it but to be able to utilize it in a way that there's always a small bit of it beneath that spotlight together with the characters as the characters are moving around um it's it's harder to do if you haven't seen a place because it's not already in your head and this is why for me one of it's really hard for me to create a scene if i don't know where everything is, because I need to know where everything is in order to get those characters moving through their environment. How are they engaging with this environment? And often what I will do is try and find pictures of a building or pictures of a place or something that will let me uh, relate it back to some pl- something that I have seen. Like you might have, I might have a building that the characters are in that I've never been to. But the rooms themselves might have furniture laid out or look something like an office that I have experienced before, because that it gives me the, the textural detail to be able to uh, put it under the spotlight so that as the character moves through that environment, whatever they're touching isn't just he touched a table, but, you know, ran his fingers along the, the grain in the old, the old oak right that's the difference between generic and text text textural <laughs> I, can, I can't talk today and so when when we're looking to make a place feel authentic and real it's those little tiny details that matter but they only count if they're directly under the spotlight you can't just throw them in and and go into this big huge description about how the place looks it has to be how the place feels beneath the fingers and the feet and the emotions of the characters themselves as they're navigating through it so taking us back to what it is that makes us care about characters we know that it's the stakes and the connection to the character that's what gives us the emotional investment well, locations don't have stakes unless, like you said, someone's going to blow it up or, you know, whatever. There, there can be some stakes, but we're just not going to care about a place the way that we care about people unless we ourselves have some personal connection to it. So the focus when you're when you're thinking about how to make a character out of a location, to me, that phrase doesn't even make sense. It's more a case of how do I bring this place alive? How do I make it feel real? How do I make it feel authentic and alive? And that's that's your goal. And it all has to do with what detail is going underneath that spotlight and how your character is interacting with that detail. It's going to come to light. It's going to come out by other characters that also inhabit the place. So um, when this question was originally framed, we were talking the subject of cozies came up as where you often see this metaphor being brought about. And I, I'm not speaking from experience. I'm speaking from imagination. I don't know that I have read any cozies, at least not in the last 10 years. So I only have a sense of what I imagine they're like. So you have to take this with a grain of salt. But if I was going to write a, a smaller town where I wanted the place to feel real, some of that would be brought about by The characters' observations of other characters in the town. Like there's Mrs. So and So, who, you know, her she's you know she's standing in her small garden with her little white picket fence that she meticulously paints every single year. It's getting harder now that she's in her 90s, but somehow she's still out there every spring, getting that fence painted. It's pristine. But the rest of her place is a mess. So, you know, that fence obviously has importance to her. OK, a little detour about Mrs. So-and-so as I'm as your character is walking by that right there told us something about the place because this is a place where Mrs. So-and-so lives and and she's part of the environment. So the other characters that populate the environment, how they interact with your character, how they just are, is also going to give detail that brings your setting to life and makes it feel make real and authentic. there are times when I have written about locations that I had to bend the plot to make them fit in, so I was writing about those locations, but you don't can't tell that in the books because. That's not how they're written. So like using the information as as an example, when I started writing that story, the whole point was I wanted to show readers what it was like to live in that country. So the location and the settings were all very authentic. It was the story itself that was completely made up. To be able to show these various parts of the country, I had to take my characters there. And to do that, I had the plot had to take them there in a way that felt organic. So in The Informationist, there's a place where the there's a missing girl. And Monroe has sort of figured out where she believes this girl is by following some clues. Well, why that place? Why? Why did why was that the place in the story where they went? Well, because I knew Fogelope local folklore about that place and I wanted to have a way to write about it in the story to tell all this history and so that's why I chose that location it could have been anywhere in the country it didn't have to be that city but I wanted to interject all this information about the the legends of the the town and 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 show the, the diverse geography, because Equatorial Guinea has got an island portion, which is where most of the people live, and this mainland portion, which is very, at the time, very underdeveloped, just like jungle ruts of mud through, through a jungle to get from place to place. I wanted to write about that. And so I bent the story in that direction to be able to provide those details. I did it also in The Mask, where there were specific cities that I wanted to write about, mostly because I wanted to visit them (laughs) as a business expense. (laughs) And I wanted to see them for myself. And therefore, they needed to be in this story. And so I bent the story around so that it fit. I, I wanted to have more than just a single location in the story. And so there were reasons why the characters had to go from place A and then hang out at a coffee shop over here in place B. It's all bent in the story in the writing so that those places could be there on the page but the spotlight never shone on those places like here now i want to show you kyoto here now i want to show you osaka it was the spotlight was entirely on the characters and as they moved through the environment the details showed up with them on the page and they were explicit enough that they felt real and alive i might not always go into detail about you know whether it was an asphalt pavement or a concrete pavement but that's the type of stuff i'm talking about if it's a wall is it just a wall or is it a stone wall or is it a grass hedge is it um is that person the clothes that people wear say a lot about them the the way somebody maintains their environment says a lot about both the environment and the person. So every single place that a, par- a character goes has the potential to provide more texture, more detail, as long as it's under that spotlight with the character. And I think that's what makes the difference between a setting that feels real and alive. And one that just exists as a function of the story. And to be able to create a setting that feels real and alive, you have to be able to see it in your head. Because how do you describe something that you've never seen or thought of? And some people have just such visual, realistic inner worlds inside their brains. And they can just conjure this stuff out of nowhere and I can't. I'm not like that. So for me, I need to come up with a visual reference. But the fact that I do come up with the visual reference to be able to guide my own imagination, to give it sort of like a kickstart or a helping hand is a step that I think a lot of writers fail to do. And I'm thinking also as another example, there was a time when I was helping to edit a story. I wasn't the one writing the story. And no, Steve, this wasn't yours. Something <laughs> Somebody else's. Um, And I remember getting really frustrated for parts of it because the—and granted, these were drafts, right? These were not finished versions. I was working with drafts. But in these drafts, the author would say something like, then the character walked to the front gate or something like that, right? Well, okay, they walked to the front gate, but from where? How long did it take them? How did they even get to the spot where they could walk to the front gate? Like they skipped over all these details, for lack of a better word, and they were treating these scenes like they were scenes out of a movie where your character just shows up, boom, out of nowhere. And there was nothing to guide the character in terms of spatial stage setting, right? And so, it was just this frustrating thing for me where I was constantly like, okay, but how did they do this? And where did they get there? And then I tried to show examples of how how to do this. Like, you know, in real life, this setting has a lot of trees. It's a forested area, but only to this point. So they couldn't be running through the trees if we want to stick to real life. There's got to be another way to to set the stage and I was trying to show how to do it. And the more I tried to show how to do it, the more frustrated I got because the more I realized there was nothing there on the page for me to work with. Like I had to create it all from scratch and that's time consuming. And I was like, this is not fair. My point being that that's fine for drafts When you're just trying to get your story down, you've got to just, you, you don't, if you spend all your time trying to research to get it accurate, you're never going to go anywhere, right? This is going to get clogged down. So you you put those little quick sketches. You walk to the gate, banged on the door, whatever. Put it in there. But when you're getting to the subsequent drafts, you need those details because those details are what's going to make the setting feel alive. But again, they're under the the spotlight with the character. You don't start you, you can, I mean some people do, but it's not going to feel very effective if you're like here was the environment that she was walking through. It was wide and vast and snowy, with a tree line over there on the ridge and a building over here down the middle. And that would create a strategic whatever. Okay, just no. It's like get your character up into the into the trees, have them look down on the ridge, have them feel the cold, have them calculate the time that it would take to get from place to place and then have them decide and get them moving again. That is what it looks like when your character is under that spotlight with the details also under that spotlight. And when you do that in total, it accumulates to where the entire environment, entire place feels authentic and real and dynamic. And that's, in my opinion, as close as you can get to having your location or your setting be a character in the book I I don't think it's possible to have them be a character but it's that feeling of authenticity and that dynamic engagement of character in the environment that makes it feel like this is the only place this this story could be told like it, it had to be happening right here and now and that's what makes it feel like this setting is as much a part of this story as any of the other characters are and that is my off-the-cuff explanation of how I think you do it.
0: <laughs> All right. And I'm going to take this in a slightly different direction. Um, I was so thinking about with the spotlight analogy, I was thinking about Nero Wolf's office. And I know, Taylor, you most likely have never read a Nero Wolf book, but these books were written... I don't know, like from the 30s to the 50s. I'm I'm really guessing in terms of the age, uh, or the dates of them. And so they, when you read them now, they feel like period pieces. But they were they were written in that time, and and this was where the stories took place. So they, the stories took place in New York. So New York always felt like a character, but the real setting that was the character was Nero Wolfe's office, and in. The books that were the most fun for me, the spotlight would shine on a different area of the office that we didn't really understand. And it's just this big square space that doesn't really change over the course of time. But every so often, you learn a little bit more about this space and why it's important to the characters. So it's almost like it is a character who's evolving and we learn more about as time goes on.
1: So I think that that's something that I had intended. Like in in all of this, I sometimes I get ideas in my head, and but I'm talking about something else, and then I lose them. And that was one. You what you just said reminded me that another aspect of this whole process is how your character feels and interacts with the the place. So the character's own thoughts, character's own emotions, the, any sentiment that the character feels, any fear, or any anger, any of that that's tied to the place can be also, I guess, fed back to the reader. It becomes part of the reader's own experience. Um, but again, it's when it's put under the spotlight. Like You can backflash stuff, that'll give it to you. You can, um, you can describe other things that the character has done in that space to also relay that but you don't want to info dump it like here's her history with this place it's again under the spotlight but the point being that the importance or how it the character relates to a particular place is also an equal measure of conveying that textural detail
0: so it's a, fun, it's a fun topic. So uh, thanks thanks for the question. And if you guys have other questions like this, the Taylor Stevens uh, Fan Club group and Facebook is a great place to send them, or you can email them directly to Taylor. So that is it for this week's show. Uh, we will be back with you again next week.
1: Yes, we will. And if you have your own thoughts on creating setting as a character metaphorically speaking, send them in because you might have a way of approaching it that I have not even thought of. And I would love to hear that for my own benefit, as well as for everybody else's. And we will see you next week.